Our scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, and 12 through 19. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then I'm sorry, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And we jump to 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The word of God. So we are now in the final week. Of, it keeps kind of coming back up, and that's this. Paul, who came to this church originally, uh, helped start them, helped planted them. Uh, then he left about a year and a half later to go to uh, plant more churches. He's writing back to the church that he helped start, um, and they have they've been living their life in such a way that they've loved the gospel. They've loved the good news of who Jesus is. They've, they've latched onto that. It has started to transform them. But then when they've gone into how do I live this out in practical ways in this world around me, how do I live out this good news in this complicated world, uh, they have kind of fallen short in a number of areas. So each week we've been uh, listing kind of the different areas that they've fallen short. So we are to the last one, uh, and it's chapter 15 uh, here in 1 Corinthians. Next week we're going to start a new sermon series that I'm really excited about. Uh, it's called Bless. Uh, it's this series, so, so the word bless, each, each letter, and it stands for something else uh, in the series. Uh, one of those, and it's uh, about intentional evangelism. So how can we, as followers of Jesus, how can we reach out to our loved ones? How can we reach out to our neighbors with the good news of who Jesus is? Uh, sometimes uh, in churches, it's almost like maybe I'm just supposed to get that person to church, and then that's like Pastor John's job. Uh, to reach out to them, but, but is that really what Scripture calls us to as Christians? The answer is no. Uh, so, so is that really what Scripture calls us to, or are we supposed to be equipped ourselves uh, to reach out to our neighbors? So we'll start that uh, next week, and I'm excited for it. Uh, but each week, as we enter into 1 Corinthians here, I think it's helpful to have just, just a brief amount of background. Uh, I already mentioned Paul's connection to the Corinthian church. Uh, Corinth itself, the city, is located in modern-day Greece. Uh, it was the province of Greece back then. It was part of the larger Roman Empire. 
Um, so it's located in Greece, and it's this major economic center, uh, really bustling, you know, downtown area, uh, very vibrant. There's a lot of trade that's going through both by sea and by land uh, in different directions. And with a lot of trade, uh, often comes a lot of money that's being put into their own uh, economy and, and everything else there. So there's uh, this mix of cultures. There's this mix of, of kind of the haves and the have-nots. Uh, there's mix of, of people that, particularly in the church, kind of come from a Jewish Christian background and people that come from a Greek or a Gentile background and are now found uh, to be brothers and sisters in Christ in one church. Um, and all of those things combined has caused a bunch of different issues uh, in the church. So we get to the last one today, um, and it's about the resurrection. How do they understand that? What is going on uh, there? So first of all, before we even get into that, there's a theme that runs through this entire chapter that I think is really important to understand, this biblical idea of hope. Uh, so we use that word, uh, but we often don't define it much. You know, we, we, we can use the word hope when we're talking about thinking that maybe tomorrow's going to be better than today, uh, that kind of thing. But in the Bible, uh, it's a little deeper than that. In the Bible, biblical hope is this confident expectation that based on the promises of God, that, that God is going to do something better in the future. So it's, it's based off of who God is and what God says about himself. So based on God's character, God's goodness, uh, God's graciousness towards us, God's mercy, we can, we can look at who God is and we can have hope that that will make an impact in what tomorrow is like or the next day or, or years from now. That we can look and we can say, uh, I don't think everything's just going to get worse, and it's not because I look around and I find all the evidence around me to believe that. It's because I look at who God is. So that's biblical hope. So that's, that's kind of underlying this whole message. Is the Corinthian church, uh, in a lot of ways, is a church that has kind of lost some of that hope. They're, they're living in a difficult setting. They're living in a, in a really difficult city to be a Christian, especially uh, Christians that are kind of learning their faith still and learning how to live it out. Um, and, and they've started to kind of lose hope in, in tomorrow. They started to lose hope that, that good days are ahead of them. So, so listen for that kind of message of hope as we read through it. So we're going to start in verse 3 here. So we're in chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 3. Jimeline just read it for us. It says this. These are the words of Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, for I received, or for what I received, I also passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me as one abnormally born. So right away in verse 3, Paul says, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that's of first importance. This is the most important thing. This is, this is the core of this whole Christian teaching. I'm going to tell you the most important thing that you need to know, and then he breaks it down into what I see as kind of six different 
small statements. So the first one, it says, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. So he's not talking about the New Testament, right? We're, we're reading the New Testament, so when Paul talks about the Scriptures, he's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures, what we commonly call the Old Testament. So, so he's saying that Christ died for our sins, and, and you can read prophecies about it, that, that it was going to happen, that God was going to do this, and then, and then Paul's saying, we saw it happen. That's the good news that is preached to them. The second part is that he was raised on the third day. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. Again, according to the scriptures, according to what we knew was going to happen, that that this really did come true. And then he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is just another name for Peter. So if you're more familiar with the name Peter, it's just just a different language. So he then appeared to Peter and then the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. This is good news for us, because it's not in the Gospels. <laughs> I mean, I believe it happened, but like, the Gospels don't record that part, where, where he appeared to 500 people. But what Paul is doing is he's making a case. He's saying, this, th- there is uh, reliable evidence to say that this happened. Right? Okay, he appeared to Peter. Well, Peter might have been a little shocked. All right, Peter was following Jesus. I mean, okay, he appeared to one person. We might go, maybe, but maybe it's just kind of in Peter's head, right? And then, and then no, he didn't just appear to Peter. He appeared to all 12, and you're like, well, maybe they were all in shock. Uh, maybe they were like community going through this grieving, and then they saw something, and, and now they're going to go off to it. And then he says, well, there's more than that. He appeared to more than 500 uh, of our brothers and sisters at the same time meaning our brothers and sisters in faith, many of whom, Paul says, are still living. So, so he's building this case. He said, there's witnesses, and not only, not only do they see it happen, like we could, we could send them to Corinth if, if you need to hear firsthand evidence. Uh, he appeared, some, some of them have fallen asleep, which means they've passed away, uh, and other ones, you know, they're still alive. So he's, he's saying this is reliable testimony. The fifth one, my favorite here, is that he appeared to James. Jesus' brother, and then to all the apostles. The reason I really like that he appeared to James is because we, we go from the Gospels as we're reading, and then we get into the book of Acts. Have you ever noticed that all of a sudden James, the brother of Jesus, like, kind of comes out of nowhere? Uh, and he's, he's one of the early leaders of the church, and, and he's one of the main people, and, and it's his testimony that so many people listen to, and, and they start to believe who Jesus is because of James. But but we actually don't read an account of Jesus appearing to James. But when you look at James's life, it kind of makes sense. So John chapter 7, we read that Jesus' brothers didn't even believe him. It was in the Gospels. So James is included there. By, by that point, Jesus' brothers didn't even believe who Jesus was. In Mark 3, we get a different account where Jesus' family comes, and, and they try to like take him away from this ministry. They're like, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, what would have to happen... For you to believe that your brother is God. <laughs> right? right? Just think about it. Like, I don't have any brothers. I have sisters. But, but if they were, like, to believe that about me or me about that, like, it would be so much harder than some random person. Right? I mean, you just met Jesus. You were following him. You're, you didn't know him as, like, a kid. <laughs> you know, it would be easier to, to be like, okay, I can see all these connections. It's all tied together. But, but what would have to happen in James's life? between the end of the Gospels accounts and the beginning of the book of Acts, for him to not only go, 
Uh, I believe that my brother was important. I believe that my brother was a prophet. I believe that, but, but to go, I believe my brother was God. Well, we find out here what probably happened. Jesus came to him <laughs> in, in his resurrected form. He's, he's died. a little scary, right? <laughs> it would be a little intimidating. Jesus, Jesus shows up and it radically changes James' life. To the point where, where James, in church tradition, James, uh, at least we can, we can believe it, is one who was martyred for this. He was killed for this faith. His life was changed that much that he went from trying to convince his brother, hey, you know, you're, you're kind of going a little extreme here, to being willing to die for that message, to get that message out about who he was. So again, Paul, he's building this case Right? He appeared to Peter, and you're like, okay. Appeared to the 12, okay. Uh, appeared to more than 500, like, well, this is getting pretty reliable. Uh, and, the, and Paul's like, you know, even his brother believed it. And I'm like, okay. And, and there's a lot of evidence of that. You know, we're, we're starting to see that this is a pretty strong case here, that, that not only did Jesus, was he important, but that he actually raised from the dead. That's the case he's making. And, and last, he says that he appeared to Paul. That he appeared to him. And we do read about that in the book of Acts. It's in chapter 9, and we call it the road to Damascus, right? And it radically changed Paul's life. And now Paul is out doing his missionary work. So verse 12, uh, we'll jump down there. But if it is preached that Christ has raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So what's going on here? Some of the, some of the Corinthians, some of the, the leaders in the church maybe, uh, are teaching this, this false story that there is no resurrection of the dead. That, that either people kind of saw you know, a ghost or they didn't really know what was going on with Jesus. And, and certainly that this promise of the future that that. Uh, believers in Jesus will also be raised into new uh, eternal bodies that will live on. They're, they're denying it right in the church. And Paul's like, i got to give a whole chapter to this uh, because this is important. This is important that, that God's people understand this. And, and as we look at it, it actually is really fascinating. So I was, um, my undergraduate degree, I was uh, a history major, history and Bible. We had like two uh, degrees, and, and primarily Greek and Roman history, so that's like my, my favorite area to look at, which works really good for reading the Bible. Uh, <laughs> uh, God knew what he was doing. <laughs> and, and one thing that's really fascinating here is that, sure, they're in Greece, right? Corinth is in Greece. In, in, in Greek philosophy, not, not in biblical Hebrew understanding of the world, but in Greek philosophy, what they're teaching makes a lot of sense. Because in Greek philosophy, there's there's this issue where like the human body, this like flesh, this, this stuff that we wear, that this uh, is, is bad. Not only this, but like the whole, the whole world, creation, it's kind of it's icky. Like there's, there's, uh, there's negative parts to this. And what's good in Greek philosophy, what's good to them is the spirit. So they have this, this big split between the body and the spirit. So so as you think about it, as, as they're thinking through their Greek lenses, kind of looking at the world, looking at the message of Jesus, they would go, 
well, how could a why, why would Jesus be raised in this in a body? Why would the end of time that that there's this like fleshy part, that it's like this eternal body, and that they're like, no, 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 it's got to be like a spirit thing. He's got to be raised like in the spirit, like. Like, maybe it looked like Jesus, but it wasn't. And then, of course, we read in the Gospels that wasn't the case. They touched his hands. They touched his side. It was, it was a body. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't some, some spirit apart from that. And not only are uh, the, the people in Corinth starting to deny that part about Jesus, they're denying part of the rest of the message of Scripture, which is that our world isn't going to look like it does right now all the time. That there's going to be this time where heaven and earth kind of are able to combine again. And in scripture calls it the new heavens and new earth. And that anyone who, who believes in Christ will be resurrected from the dead. And there will be these new eternal uh, bodies that we were kind of meant to have the whole time. Uh, until sin got in the way. <laughs> and, and there's this, this new hope. It's called, it's called the Christian hope for the future. And it's not this hope that maybe the Corinthians are kind of leaning towards that, that someday this earth will get worse and worse, but I'm just going to like die and go away to heaven, and then I'm just like a spirit floating up there. And, and there's hints of that in Scripture, but it doesn't end there. That, that's the big part. That's not the end. That's not the actual hope. That's, that's good, but that's not the end. The end is a restoration of this world. The end is a restoration that that our world will be made new and that heaven will be made new and they'll be made one again and it'll be beautiful and, and there'll, be, there'll be humanity and, and you'll have, there'll be flesh. It's, it's not going to be like this spirit thing. Um, and where they get that or where that comes from, and this doesn't come from Greek philosophy, it comes from the Old Testament. It, it comes from understanding this Hebrew, uh, ancient Hebrew way of looking at the world, that in Genesis 1, the earth was created, and God said it was good. It was good. It's not this Greek philosophy idea where, like, the earth is bad, and, and, and flesh is bad, and we need to escape it, and we need to just become the spirit and kind of float away. It's this idea that, like, no, this is good at its core. This was made, sure, sure, absolutely, you keep reading a few more chapters, it gets, it gets kind of destroyed by sin, or at least or at least tainted by sin, and it kind of starts to wreck a lot of what's going on uh, in the world, and we see a lot of pain, and we see a lot of suffering, and we, we see a lot of things that we would not call good, and that's true. That's also in the Bible, and we experience that, right? We're living in that world. Um, but at its core, when, when God made creation, when God made humanity, when God made all of it, he said it was good. So the goal is not to throw that all away. To throw it all away and then we're just going to have this other existence going into the future. The goal is to restore that goodness. And God enters into this kind of this restoration process in the world that he's going to, he's going to fix it because humanity, you don't have to read very far before you realize they're not going to fix it. It gets worse and worse and worse. And then God sends uh, this flood Right? We're only a few chapters in. God sends this flood, and he says, I'm going to wipe it out, but I'm going to save a few people, right? And then they're there. Um, and then the first thing it says after the flood, I just love this in Scripture because it, it kind of boggles your mind. The first thing God says is, I realize the flood didn't really stop it. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. 
But, but he says, I realize the flood, they, these, these humans are still going to be sinful. They're still going to hurt each other. They're still going to hurt this world. But what does change is, is he comes, and, and God is there, and, and Noah gets off the ark, and Noah makes a sacrifice to God. Noah makes a And in that sacrifice, God says, I know it's still going to act out the same. But I know we have to look at, um, I know I have to look at this sacrifice instead. And I'm going to remain in relationship with these people. These people that are hurting, these people that are in pain. The Bible is wonderful, but in the Corinthian mind, it doesn't work well with Greek philosophy. But what's amazing is how well that stays in the church. (laughs) Right? What's amazing is how well this idea in the church that like that like that's the whole goal. It's just going to go away, and then we just we're with God, uh, and and I'll get to some of that later. But but no, that's not the end result, right? That's not the hope. Paul continues in verse fourteen, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, if we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Here's the important line. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Jimeline and I were talking about this verse this week. Here's a little Bible um, study methods for you, real quick. Paul talks backwards from how most modern Americans would make an argument. So what I mean is, we would normally make an argument, we'd say the main point, and then we would give evidence as to why that's the case. That's how we typically talk when we, when we do things. We say, like, the main thing we're going to say, and then we'll say, well, the, the reason that's true is because, you know, A, B, C, and we go down. What often happens in the Bible is the exact opposite. Here's all the evidence. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> all right, so if you ever read uh, in the New Testament, you're like, gosh, I just got to read this stuff twice. That, that's okay. <laughs> that's kind of how our brains work. We're like, we're like what, what is this argument that's going on? And this is a great example of it, where, where the whole point is at the end there. If only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are of people most pitied. If this is it, if we just live this life and, and we follow Jesus and, and we look around and we say, well, I lived a good life because I followed after Christ and, uh, and I was a good person, or you know, however you explain it, then, then Paul says we are to be the most pitied people. And, and I kind of agree with it. Like if, this, if, it's, if we're just wrong, it's kind of what Paul is saying. If Christianity is just wrong, and we get to the end, and that like wasn't true. 
have pity on the church. Right? A lot of people gave their time. Like I said, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of martyrs in the church, especially in their time. These people are sacrificing a lot to follow Jesus. They're, they're sacrificing a lot in their culture. They're sacrificing a lot in their, uh, into the people around them. So all of this Christian hope, it hangs on this truth that Jesus was resurrected from the dead on Easter. That's what Paul's saying. If we lose that part, if you just deny the resurrection, uh, you lose the rest of it. What's, what's Christianity then? It's just we follow this wise leader and we try to live a good life, you know, kind of, kind of thing, which is what a lot of people in culture kind of tell you Christianity is, right? You just, oh, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, you know, kind of attitude. And Paul is saying, no, 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 if there's no resurrection of the dead, then, then all of this is pointless. And we, we should just do other things with our time. And the opposite is true, but if there is resurrection from the dead, if all this evidence that we saw, if, if, if these people that he appeared to and, and they're witnesses and they can tell us, and especially in Paul's day, he's like, a lot of them are still alive. We could have them here to tell us what's going on and, and look at James' life and how it was transformed. If that's true, if that's true, and I believe it is true, then we need to focus on this. We need to to dedicate our lives to this. This is the good news of all good news. It's part of the reason why, why I have this sermon series leading into the blessed sermon series on evangelism. Because if this is true, we have to live our lives in a way that points other people towards this. We, we can't just coast. If we, if we fully believe that this is really what's going on, then, then we can't just say, well, that's true for me, and you go do you. You live your life. Believe it, don't believe it, whatever. Well, we would never say that, but you know, the condition of our heart can kind of show that towards other people. Well, we never say that out loud because it sounds terrible. But if we look inside and we look at our actions, maybe, we can kind of go through life and, and think, well, I don't want to be rude to them. But what if they don't like it that I tell them about Jesus? And Paul is saying, this is, this is not about if they like it. This is about if it's true. <laughs> and he's saying, the evidence shows this is what's going on here. And we're also told in Scripture that not only is Jesus raised from the dead, but, but that's the first fruits of the resurrection. And here's what that means. It's, it's we get a little taste of what it's going to be like if you're a follower of Christ. That it's not just like Jesus was raised from the dead and that's it. It's at the end of time, Jesus will come back. And when Jesus comes back, that, that there will be a resurrection of all those who have uh, fallen asleep, as Scripture says, in Christ. And, and that's the Christian hope. And even those that are still alive, it says they will also be transformed into their new uh, eternal resurrection bodies. They don't get left out just because they're still alive. Uh, they get to be part of this too. So, so I think about our world today, and, and I think I, re- I really enjoy this chapter because I think it preaches so well into our context. I think you can look around at the church in America as the church as a whole, and you can say, what happened to the resurrection? 
what, what happened to this idea that, that the Christian hope is that we can lean on who God is and his promises and that, that this will all be restored, that, that we're not just one day going to pass away and then we get like the, uh, the get to heaven free card. And we're like, yep, I believed in Jesus and that's it. You know, that, that's, that's the message that's preached so often, right? That's kind of the understanding. And, and there is some of that. I'm not, I'm not fully denying that, you know, that part of it, uh, but there's more. There's more to that hope. There's more to the message. There's, there's this idea, at least, at least I heard it in the church growing up, that Jesus died on the cross for you. And if you believe in him, whatever that kind of vaguely means, uh, Jesus died on the cross for you, and if you believe in him, then when you die, you go to heaven. And then, and then it goes on like that's the whole message. Like that's the whole good news. And, and again, I want to be clear, I'm not saying that that's entirely wrong. That's not wrong, but of course it's missing a lot of the details. It's missing a lot of what's going on. It's missing God's role in what's happening. It's missing this whole idea of the new heavens and the new earth and this, this resurrection of the body that, that Christ's resurrection was the first fruits of and, and we all get to experience and this, this beautiful thing. So as I was preparing this sermon, I, I had this, this nagging feeling that, that I want to preach the, the good news. The gospel just means good news. They want to preach the good news as clear as possible today. Um, normally I kind of bounce from my notes up to you. You know, you got to keep on track a little bit. I'm just going to read this next part of my notes. This is my a little more elongated version of how uh, through reading scripture, through studying, this is where, what I see the good news being. All right, so I'm, I'm going to just preach the gospel to you uh, for the rest of the sermon here. Here's what it is. In the beginning, God created everything. And he placed humans in a garden, uh, and we're told in Scripture that it's, it's this tall mountain, and it's in the land of Eden. And in Eden, there was this really beautiful combination of, of heaven and earth, and they were, they were intertwined in beautiful ways, and, and humans were there, uh, as well as other creatures, but also we're told that God was walking among them. You see that heaven and earth language. God, God was there. He was walking among them in the garden. But then in Genesis 3, sin enters the world and humans, they rebel against God. They wish that they were like God. They wish that they were gods of their own lives. And their relationship with God is broken. And they are bound to this new master. They are bound to sin itself. They are tied to it. They are chained to it. They can't break loose. And it starts this downward spiral in Scripture. This spiral of war and pain and strife. This spiral of lies and death and destruction. And every single person in all of creation is affected by this. And the human story from Genesis 3 on is one of pain. And it's this kind of pain that results from a separation with God. 
And while they're bound to sin, no matter how hard they try, they can't break loose. They can't be free. They can't live in this right relationship with God and with each other and with all of creation. And now the good news is that God didn't see fit to leave us that way. The good news is that while we found ourselves in that state of being, whether it's all of humanity or each of us individually, while we found ourselves in that state, God did not see fit to leave us that way. And God puts this plan into motions. These these humans, they're not able to fix the problem themselves. But God loves his creation. And God desires to fix it. So he puts a plan into motion and he tells Adam and Eve, he tells them early on, right away, he tells them of one of their descendants that will crush the head of the snake. And he tells Abraham of one of his descendants that will be a blessing to all nations. And he goes forward in time again and he tells King David that one of his descendants will sit on the throne forever. And then Jesus enters into the world to fulfill all these promises. Jesus, the Son of God, fully human and fully God. Jesus, the one who, unlike Adam and Eve, resisted his temptation in the wilderness. Jesus, the promised descendant of Abraham and Sarah, who will truly be the blessing to all nations. The true king. The true prophet. But also the true Passover lamb. And we continue going into scripture when we read that he was betrayed. That he was arrested. That he was put on trial. That he was beaten, that he was mocked, that he was stripped of his clothing, and that he was abandoned. But we also read that sin was crushed. And that death was defeated. And that the talons of sin had been broken, those talons that dug so deep into humanity, that chain that wrapped them to their sins, that that in the death of Jesus that that was crushed. That, that the hum, humans were freed, that they could now, uh, for the first time, live in a right relationship with God through the work and the power of Jesus. That, that Jesus' work uh, brought about restoration. That they were no longer tied to their sin and separated from a holy God. And that that relationship between between people and God, that relationship that could now be there, has, has impact even after life on this earth is done. That, that's the way of looking at it, is that because of who God is, because of how God loves us, because of how God loves his children, that, that death doesn't win. That that's not the end of the story. 
And yet, we find ourselves in the story too. We're the exact same place as the Corinthian church. We're in this time after Jesus had been on the cross, after Easter, after the resurrection, but before the second coming of Christ. We're in the same place on the timeline with the same questions, with the same longings, with the same hurt, with the same pain. But we're also told that it's not the end of the story. That it actually continues, that Scripture teaches us of a time where Jesus will come again. That Jesus will come again and it will usher in this recreation of all of the created order, this, this recreation where heaven and earth are, are merged and they become one, and, and Scripture calls it the new heavens and the new earth. That death and destruction will be done away with once and for all. That this merger of heaven and earth will be like the garden once again. But it will all be right this time. And we're told that all who live or who have died in Christ will be resurrected into these new, heavenly, eternal bodies. See, that's, that's the Christian hope. That's the Christian hope, that God is doing something in this world. That, that we, we might live to see it, we might not live to see it. That's That's not even the point. That hasn't been the point for 2,000 years. In in this scripture, it says that some people that saw the resurrection are are still around and some have fallen asleep. They've all fallen asleep by now. (laughs) Right? They've all fallen asleep. But but that doesn't mean it's not true. And and I think what's the $1 million question? Right? When I come to this text, the $1 million question, and it comes from a deep place within us, uh, and I think it's only fair to talk about is, is do we go to heaven when we die? Right? Now you all sat up straight. What, what's pastor going to say now? Do we go to heaven when we die or, or do we simply wait for this new resurrection? I think it's a very fair question. Do, which, which one do we do? Do we go to heaven? Do we wait for these new resurrected bodies? Again, I go to Scripture. I think there's enough evidence in the Bible for me to say that I think believers, again, I think, I think believers go to heaven immediately after they die. And they wait. But that's not the end of the story. Right? That's why I kept saying, like, there's more to it. So, the, so they do go, and it, we're told that they'll be with Jesus. Jesus says uh, to the criminal on the cross next to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. There's a few other verses. There's, there's Luke 23, 34, uh, which is that verse. Uh, but there's also Philippians 1, 23. I'm not going to read these, but if you want to look them up on your own, you can. Uh, Philippians 1, 23 hints at that also. And the second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, also hints that, that there's this time. You know, so, if, so if you, quote, fall asleep, uh, in Christ, that you are with him, that, that you are somehow with Jesus, we're told. But again, that's not the end of the story. The story is that you're still waiting for Jesus to come back in this new uh, 
this, this resurrection of the dead. Now again, I want to be clear, I'm not preaching purgatory. That's a different thing. Right? If you're familiar with purgatory, that, that's a different, what purgatory is, is this, this theology that's not uh, in the Bible, that there's somehow uh, more punishment that, that needs to happen to a person, or you need to kind of like work off your sins in this like in-between time. That's not what the Bible's saying. What, what the Bible tells us is that when Christ died on the cross, he cr- died for all sins. That, that we don't need to like work off our own sins in this you know, in-between time. What, what we're told in the Bible is that we'll just be with Jesus. That we'll be with Jesus and, and we'll be waiting, but we'll, we'll be still waiting along with everyone that's, that's on earth. So we'll be waiting in anticipation for this thing God is going to do when it will all be made right. So the Christian hope and, and what the Corinthians here are missing out on is that this whole thing isn't about one day escaping this hurting and broken world and flying off as some eternal spirit to, to rest with God. That, that's, that's not the whole point of what's going on. It's about restoration. It's about this hurting and this broken world being done away with. And this, this new heavens and this new earth reality merging and, and becoming the new reality in which, in which we get to live in, finally. And even in that, our bodies will be replaced with this new, this perfect, this eternal, this everlasting, this resurrected body. And death will be destroyed. And there'll be no more suffering. That, that is good news. That's, that's the good news that we read about in the Bible. Paul says it this way, quoting from uh, a couple Old Testament prophets. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. That's what we get to look forward to. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he goes on, he quotes another prophet, and he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's destroyed. It's done away with. First Corinthians, this whole book, it's about, it's about a church that heard this good news. It's about a church that heard the good news and they loved it and they accepted it, but they struggled so hard to apply it to their lives. They struggled so hard to be people of that hope in, in, a, in a world that was just painful. In a world with so much struggle so much suffering. But it's, it's about how this good news of who Jesus is and what he has done, it should affect every area of our lives. It should affect how we live in relationships with each other. It should affect how we live in relationships with our family, with, with our community, our, our work lives, whatever, whatever that looks like. It should matter for all of it. This is not just good moral advice to live by, and then you'll be like a happy person. The, the good news, the gospel itself, is this announcement out to the world that Jesus has opened up this whole new reality that we can live into. 
And it is, it's such good news. Let's pray.